we are in a study of the book of Revelation. We're just getting started. We're doing the seven churches, the seven letters written to the seven churches. We're on church number two, if you're counting. And before we get to church number two, I want to take a minute. I want to I want to cover a couple of things we passed over last week and, and just mention some things that are, are really interesting and things that are easy to miss. So we're going to be right around chapter 2, being uh, the first church and the second church. We'll jump to the third church just a hair. But I want you to notice these things because they, they help us understand what's going on here. So in your notes, you see a string of references, Revelation 2, 7, 11, 17, 29, then chapter 3, 6, 13, and 22. Let me read you a couple of those. Revelation 2, 7 says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I know the verse keeps going. We're going to stop right there. Let me read chapter 2, verse 11. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 17. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we can continue on. Every one of those references has the exact same phrase. And when, when God repeats himself, when scripture repeats itself, we need to kind of look a little closer and, and see what's going on. And so the, the most obvious thing, when it says, he who has ears, let him listen, that's Jesus saying to each one of these churches at the end of each letter, hey, pay attention. Remember, each one starts with, this isn't John writing, this is Jesus writing, this is God writing, sit up, pay attention, take notes. Right? This is God speaking. This is what I have to say to you. And at the end, he who has ears, let him hear. Is kind of like, hey, you know, pay attention to what I've just said. This is important. What I want to point out is, is maybe what's not as important. And what goes in that blank there at the end of number one is the word churches. And don't forget the ES. Because the ES is the important part. Okay, it says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not the church in Smyrna, or the church in Ephesus, or the church in Pergamum. Each and every one of them, at the end of their individual letter, says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So A in your notes, all seven churches were to read all seven letters. All seven churches were to read all seven letters. They were delivered in a package. They didn't get a letter each. And then one day decide to pass them around, and then one day decide to go ahead and put them with the book of Revelation. The entire package was delivered together. They each got their own copy. So the church in Smyrna read about the church in Ephesus before they read about themselves. And the church in Pergamum read about the first two churches before they read about themselves. And they weren't supposed to skip the other letters because they weren't written to them. They were supposed to read them. So the church in Smyrna, after reading the letter to the church in Ephesus, would say to themselves, Oh, wow, they're doing great things. They have a great reputation. We didn't know they had forsaken their first love. Wow, we better be careful not to do that also. We better make sure that, that when we're serving God, we don't forget who we're serving. We don't forget why we're serving we don't forget to love God, love others, and love the unsaved. And they would read that, then they would read their letter. 
and every church would read the other letters. And it's not so they can compare themselves and go, wow, I'm sure glad we're not like that church. They should read the letters to say to themselves, wow, there's something we better watch out for. Or, wow, there's something we need to work on. And, and, and so we have the same approach. B, in your notes, all seven churches were to receive instruction and warning as they read them. And then C, we are also to receive instruction and warning as we read them. That's the reason they're there. If it was just a letter specifically to that church and no one else, they would have been delivered as individual letters to the individual churches, and they wouldn't be there for us. We are supposed to read these like we did last week and say, wow, are, are we in danger of this same shortfall? Are we lacking in some of their achievements? And last week we talked about how really the church of Ephesus, the warning to them is the one we better pay the most attention to because that's kind of where we're in the most danger. And, and we talked about that. Now, we get to Smyrna, we don't say to ourselves, wow, last week was for us, now we can... Now we can think about what church this might be. And maybe I have a relative in this church, and I'll call them and tell them what they should watch out for. No, we should also be asking the question, does this apply to me? Does this apply to my church? Am I in danger here? Or I should say, I better pay attention so that when this shows up at my church, I'm ready for it. Because Satan doesn't have that many tricks. He's just really good at the ones he does have. And he's going to bring them all out to us. So... When we look at this, it's, it's nice to see, it's, it's good to notice, these are written to all the churches, including ours. So that's how we're going to look at each and every one of them. Number two, in the category of things worth mentioning and things we might forget, we're going to look at verse 6 and verse 15. We, we just kind of skimmed right past this last week, and, and so today we're going to read it, verse 6. It says, but you have this in your favor. So this is, the list of good things has been given this is what you have against you. That's been given. Now this is kind of an afterthought. Or kind of a, that was pretty heavy. Let me tell you one more good thing. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That's verse 6. Now verse 15 says, Likewise, this is now to the church of Pergamum, which is next week. Likewise, you have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. We have to read verse 16 to find out what God thinks about that. He says, repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of the mouth. So wherever the Nicolaitans were, God did not approve of them. He was not in favor of them. They were seen as the enemy. All right? So here's what we know about them in your notes. A, we do not know who they were. We do not have an historical context. We don't have extra biblical writings. We're not told in the scriptures who they were. We don't know if they're a people group. We don't know if they're a religious sect. We just know they were there in these cities, and, and they were having an effect. So all seven churches were to read these books. They should all be watching for the Nicolaitans. We don't know who they were or what they practiced. Be in your notes. We do know for sure they were a false teaching. They were teaching something other than Scripture. And by now, please realize... The apostles are all dead except for John. Paul is dead. The writings have all been written. Perhaps maybe the book of Hebrews hasn't been written yet, but most people think it has. And really, the only reason we ask the question is because we don't know for sure who wrote it. 
almost all the scriptures have been written. They have the letters. They have the teachings. And so now we can judge what's true and what's not true, what's, what's righteous and what's false. And, and these guys were bringing about false teaching. Okay, they had false practices spoken about in verse 6 and false teaching spoken about in verse 15. So see, the church in Ephesus was praised for not participating, and D, the church in Pergamum, was warned against their participation. So there's no question where God stands on this. He did not like the Nicolaitans. As a matter of fact, he says he hates them. Hates because of what they do, what they represent. They're leading people away from the truth, perhaps even away from the gospel. And so he, he warns us not to be a part of that. Well, what are we supposed to take from this? We don't know who the Nicolaitans were. We don't know what they taught. Well, one point we can get from this is in your notes. A teaching and or practice, either one, is neither true or false based on whether or not there's a church or denomination that practices it. I, I've heard this logic. It may sound foreign to you. It may, not, it may not sound like it makes sense, but I've heard this. Uh, my pastor taught this, so it's true. Um, uh, there's a church that believes this, so it's true. I heard somebody on the radio say it, so it's true. Just because someone said it, just because someone preached it, just because someone believes it, just because there's a church that endorses it, doesn't make it true. Okay? The Mormon church endorses and preaches a Jesus who is not our Jesus. Not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jehovah Witness Church says the same thing. The, the cults are usually easier to spot. The prosperity gospel preaches a gospel that is not in alignment with the Bible. And we need to know that. We need to be able to spot that. The key is that the only true test of a teaching or movement or spiritual practice is Scripture. Does it line up with Scripture? Is the end point in agreement with Scripture? Is the process in agreement with Scripture? Does it honor God or does it honor the person? Is it accomplishing God's work? Is it in alignment with His, with his goals? Does it break any of His principles or commands? If it does any of those things, then it's a false gospel. It's a false teaching. It's a false practice. So we have to watch out for these things. And so even way back then, they dealt with false teachers. Peter talked about them. Paul talked about them. John talks about them. Well, in the very beginning, within 100 years of Jesus' life, people are popping up and they're coming up with their own versions of what Jesus said and their own versions of, of how to be a Christian. And many of those thoughts and actions were, were motivated by finances. I can make a living at this. I can, I can gain power from this. I can become popular. My name will be known. And so we've got to watch out for that. We've got to watch out for these things. That's why the Nicolaitans are mentioned here. If we needed to know what they taught, we, we would have been told what they taught. If we needed to know where they came from, we would have been told where they came from. So that's the second thing. The third thing... And, and the things worth mentioning, things we might not pick up on. You have another string of verses, Revelation 2, 7, 11, 17. And then you have three more in parentheses, and I'll explain why those are in parentheses in a minute. I want to read verse 2, 7. I actually want to read the second half of what we already read. It says, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Verse 11, the second half. Says the one who is victorious 
will not be hurt at all by the second death. And then verse 17, the second half, says to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Now, go to verse 29, chapter 2, verse 29. It says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of the Spirit says to the churches, and there is no second half. So the ones in parentheses, there's no second half, but they all start off the same. The first three have these qualifiers, have these, these indications of, of what we're talking about. And so what are we talking about? Well, A, in your notes, when it says the tree of life, in, in chapter 2, verse 7, that refers to eternal life. Okay? It says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The ones who are victorious will not be hurt in the second death. Will not be hurt in the second death. That's the second one. Second death refers to forgiveness. What is a second death? Second death is hell. Second death is receiving the just wage for your sin. And he said, if you're victorious, which means if you're saved, if you're with me, if you're truly with me, if you're a believer, if you're on my side, we have a relationship, your sins are forgiven. If you're victorious, you will not taste the second death. You will not be punished for your sins because Jesus already paid the price. You will skip judgment, and you will go straight to reward. Tree of life is eternal life. Not hurt in the second death is forgiveness. See, hidden manna refers to spiritual sustenance. Let me explain that. We hear about manna in the Old Testament, in Exodus, when the people were wandering in the desert, and they said, we don't have enough food. And God said, I'll, I'll give you manna. Tomorrow morning, you go out, you pick up enough manna for your family for the day. It'll feed you. It'll nourish you. It'll give you all the, everything you need to be healthy. And in the morning, there'll be more. And every morning, they went out, and there was enough manna for the entire population. They gathered what they needed. They ate for the day. A and God provided all the nutrition and all the food they needed. They always had a full stomach. They always got everything they needed from the food. And that was physical manna. So if he's going to provide spiritual manna, spiritual sustenance, hidden manna, as he calls it, that's, that's what we need spiritually. God will provide for those who belong to him what they need to live their life correctly, what they need to represent him well, what they need to serve him. If God calls you to a ministry, he'll give you the means to fulfill the ministry. If he calls you to speak to someone, he'll give you the words to share. If he calls you to take on a a job in the church will give you what it takes to do a good job. He's not going to call you to something that he hasn't also provided for. He's not going to ask you to do something and then leave you hanging. So, for those who are victorious, we have eternal life, we have forgiveness, he provides sustenance that we need to live for him, and D says that there's a white stone with a new name. That refers to victory, identity, and reward. Again, let me explain. They had athletic competitions. And these, in these athletic competitions, there was a winner. And the winner, among other things, would be handed a white stone. And they would write the name, their name, on the white stone, and they would hand it to the winner, and the winner would carry that with them in their hand, in their pocket, whatever they did, would carry it with them until the end of the games. When the competition was over, they would take that white stone and they would go to the banquet for the victor. And that white stone with their name on it was their ticket into the banquet where they would 
celebrate their victory, and they would be treated like royalty. And so a white stone with their name on it represented victory. It says, I will give you a white stone with a new name on it. So what's the new name? Well, we're new creations. We're, we're, we're a better form of what we used to be. Perfection. And with perfection, you, you get a new name. Now, I don't know if that's an actual new name. Like, when I get to heaven, will I be Frank? I always like to be Frank, you know. Or will I be David? Maybe the new name is, well, I used to be David the sinner, David the lost one. I used to be David the annoying one. I used to be all these things. Now I'm David the chosen one. Now I'm David the son of the Most High God. Now I'm David the heir of Christ. Maybe that's my new name. Don't really know for sure, but the name on the stone is mine, and it's my ticket into the banquet, into my reward. So that's what the white stone refers to. We'll put all that together, joining that together, you have D in your notes. True believers have forgiveness, resulting in eternal life, and are sustained by God to persevere until a final victory is won, and then they will receive the reward. Isn't that great? I think that's pretty good news. And, and we get that by looking at these verses that repeat themselves and looking at the things that are the same, looking at the differences and saying, what do these mean? Luckily, some smart people did some good research and we could refer to that and find out what the white stone was and all this kind of stuff. But there's just three things that, and just reading through on our own, we're probably going to miss, but I wanted you to see. So turn your notes over. Let's do review. Let's talk about Ephesus. Super fast review. Okay? An entire sermon last week. Now we get two lines. Number one, the church in Ephesus did a lot of great things. Okay, they did a lot of great things. They had an awesome resume. They were the envy of all the other churches. When the other churches held a conference, they invited people from Ephesus to come teach them how to do church. Okay? They, they were, they were the, the best of everything. They were a great church, did great things. Which, if that's where it stopped, we would all go try to be like them. But there was more. It said, nevertheless, number two, but in the process of getting things done, stopped loving God, each other, and the unsaved. Their motivation changed. Their attitude changed. Their perspective changed. They no longer did things in humility, but they did things in pride. They no longer cared about the process. They only cared about the result. They forgot about loving God and loving others. They forgot about gentleness and respect and things like that. They stepped on toes. They overlooked people. They quarreled with each other, probably. They forgot who they were serving and why they were serving him. So they had a lot of great stuff, but they did it in the wrong way. And what was the warning? I'm going to take your church away from you. And we know from history, he did indeed take their church away from them. So we ask, how do we make sure we don't do this? Well, we remember who Jesus is, why we serve him, what he's done for us. We give him the glory. We step back. We do our good deeds, but we do them humbly. We do them for his glory and for the benefit of others. That was last week. This week is Smyrna. Smyrna, Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. It's only four verses long. Let's read it together. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, 
These are the words of him who was the first and the last who died and came to life again. Starts off the same way. Hey, this is not John, this is Jesus. The letter may be written in John's hand and may be delivered from John's address, but this is Jesus. So pay attention. Verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know, that the, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now, I don't know how closely you paid attention to what I read, but I'm not sure that people read that and went, Oh, good! This is great! Because what did it say? It said, I know your afflictions. I know you're having a hard time. I know you're getting beat up left and right. I know that there's always opposition. I know your poverty. I know that your faith in me is costing you financially. I know that your faith in me is costing you in other ways. It says, yet you are rich. Okay, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. The very people who should be listening to the message, the very people who should be saying, aha, Jesus was the Messiah. That's good news. We've been waiting for the Messiah. Tell us more about Jesus. Those people are not just disagreeing, they're slandering. Now, gossip is when you think you know something juicy and you tell it to a bunch of people because it's fun to tell secrets, right? That's gossip. We shouldn't do that. Slander is a whole level worse because you know it's false. Maybe you even made it up yourself. And you're telling it to others to damage the person you're talking about, to damage their reputation, to take away opportunities, to make them look bad in a way that makes you look good. And so these Jewish people who should be on board, who should be listening, who should be recognizing the Messiah, are not just disagreeing, they're actually lying about them. And he calls them a synagogue of Satan. And he says, but don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Sounds like they were suffering already. So what I hear is, is Jesus saying, yeah, you're doing pretty good with the suffering so far, but there's more. But wait, there's more, right? The devil will put some of you in prison. That's good news. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Not sure what 10 days means. Is it a literal 10 days? It very easily could be in a literal 10 days. We don't have any historical record to match with it, so we're not sure. It could also just mean a really long time, a week of Sundays. You know, it could be a saying that, hey, it's going to last a while. It's not a couple of days. It's not a weekend. It's not even a week. It's 10 days. It's going to be a long time. Regardless, persecution's coming. And he says, be faithful even to the point of death, which kind of means some of you are going to die. Right? Great church sermon, by the way. Right? Hey, guess what? Some of you are going to die. We're going to suffer a lot. He says, I'll give you life as the victor's crown, reminding them that they have eternal life. The, 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 the prize at the end is eternal life. They have something better. In your notes, let's talk about Smyrna. Number one in your notes. Smyrna had been around for a really long time. 
and their reputation or their kind of what they do is they competed, okay, competed with Ephesus to be the first city of Asia in the Roman Empire. So the Romans had, had taken over, and, and the people of Smyrna said, hey, if we're going to be controlled by the Romans, let's be, let's be number one. Let's be the top city. And they competed with Ephesus. Now, they kind of lost out to Ephesus. Ephesus became the Roman capital of that area, if you will. But Smyrna was right there. That was their goal. Okay, a, a couple of hundred years earlier, 150, 200 years earlier, be in your notes, Smyrna, in order to gain allegiance with Rome, created, okay, created the goddess Roma and the cult of Rome. So Smyrna was paying Pergamum to protect them. That was the relationship. Rome comes in the scene, and Smyrna says, hey, we're all going to follow Rome, so I'm not going to pay Pergamum anymore to protect us. We're going to get in with Rome early so we get the benefits of this empire. And so they actually created a goddess, called it Roma, and said, hey, we already worship you. Isn't this wonderful? And, and that's what they did. That was before all this took place, before um, this book was written. Now, after, see, you may have heard of a guy named Polycarp. You can look him up. Uh, you, can, you can find out things about him. He was a student of John. When Polycarp was young, John was old, okay? And Polycarp, as many other Christians were, was burned at the stake in, in around 150 A.D., and here's the interesting part, with the full support of the Jewish population. Doesn't that sound like what we just read? It didn't get any better. It got worse. The story is, not from Scripture, but from church history, the story is that when they were going to burn a Christian at the stake, the Jews ran home and brought fuel for the fire. They didn't just stand around and go, oh, yeah, that's good, I like this. We don't like them people. That's they went home and got fuel for the fire so it burned hot and wouldn't go out too soon. That's how much the Jewish people hated the Christians here. So these Christians lived in a city that wanted to be Roman so bad that they created a Roman goddess. They wanted Rome to like them so much they were into that. And they, they hated the Christians so much that even the Jews were really happy when they got burned at the stake and were all in on this. This was not a fun place to live. Okay? So, too, the Christians in Smyrna were, we know from verse 9, afflicted and poor. Uh, we might say it like this. They were persecuted in public affairs. They were persecuted in public affairs. They didn't get the job that they wanted or that they were qualified for. They didn't earn the position in the city council. They didn't get to be the manager. They didn't get to be in charge. Okay? They were, they were not given opportunities. They were held back. Because they were Christians. And because they were held back, and they were even penalized, they had to deal with actual poverty, financial poverty. So they were afflicted and poor. They were, they were picked on intentionally. They were, there were bad things happening at the hands of others. And it caused them to be poor. They had everything working against them. And B, they were slandered. We find that in verse 9. We've already talked about that. That's intentionally lied about. It's the Christian's fault. You can't trust him. All these kinds of things. And then see, they, they, they were going to, they saw suffering and prison in their future. And at the very least, we read that and we say there's not a lot of hope for improvement. 
Not a lot of hope for improvement. Now, what would it be like if we lived in a world where being a public believer cost you something? Well, you might not get a scholarship, and you might not get a job offer, and you might not get to be on the team of your choice, and you might not be elected, and you might not be liked, and you might not get to be the baseball coach, and you might not be welcome in your neighborhood. What would it be like if we lived in a world or a nation where speaking out on your Christian beliefs cost you something? What, what would that be like? Can we identify with that at all? What would it be like if you were right about simply because you're a Christian? Where, where the church is evil and people that hold standards are bigots and, and, and you have phobias about other people and, and you can't be trusted and, and, and you're radical and, and you're uh, crazy and things like that. What would it be like if we lived in a world where people lied about us? And what would it be if we lived in a world where it didn't seem like it was going to get that much better very soon? Can anyone imagine? You know, there are parts of the world where living in Smyrna would be an improvement. Right? We're not there. But we're heading in that direction. Right? We, we can identify with Smyrna. I said that Ephesus held our, our, our greatest opportunity to disappoint God. Smyrna may hold our future. Now, here in Kathlamet, we can get away with a lot. People don't pay attention to us. We're not on the radar. If we did the things we do in Seattle or Portland, we might have protests in front of our church. We were slandered during the whole COVID thing. I was slandered during the whole COVID thing. You may not be aware of that. We didn't make a big deal of it. But that's happening. We have been afflicted. Some of you have been afflicted in that you're, you're missing out on things or not having opportunities because of your faith. We are actually living in at least the potential to be in a Smyrna church. And I want to say there are places that are already there and some that have surpassed them. They are already in the 10 days of trouble. They are already being sent to prison. They are already being killed. Sadly, it's happening really close to our borders. Okay? It's not a great time to be a committed Christian in Canada right now. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's, it's not a safe time to be a committed Christian in Mexico right now. Um, actually, strangely enough, one of the best places to be a Christian right now is in South America, where they're still holding to the Scripture and the standards, and they're not compromising. The United States is... Smyrna, it's coming. So I have all these things going against them, but what were they? Number three, yet they were rich spiritually. They were rich spiritually. They had the knowledge. They had the faith. They had the Holy Spirit. They had direction. They had goals. They had instruction. They had a life to live. They had a, a purpose to live up to. They were rich spiritually. B, they were not to be afraid God said, don't be afraid of what's coming. Like, you, you've made it this far. Don't stop now. Don't, don't become afraid. Know that I'm with you. Know that I'm not going to give you more than I can handle for you. Know that I'm, I'm right here. See, be faithful. Don't be afraid, but be faithful. Keep going the way you're going. And then D, 
They were promised eternal life in verse 10 and freedom from the second death in verse 11. And then notice there is no section of, yet I hold this against you. There is no but. Isn't it interesting that the church that's having the hardest time being confronted with the most evil is the church that they have nothing against? As it got easier in other cities, God had more against them. These people, if you spoke up in Smyrna and said, I'm a Christian, I guarantee you meant it. There was no wishy-washy in that statement. You said, I'm a Christian, you risked everything, including your life. And, and, and this church was solid. They didn't have to be warned about the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans weren't coming to Smyrna. They were not interested in living there. These guys were solid. What's our application in all this? Well, slander, prison, suffering, affliction, poverty, maybe the price we pay for remaining true to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And how you respond to that statement tells you a few things. If I say, you might live in poverty, you might be slandered against, you might live under affliction, you might suffer, you might die because of your faith, and your response is, true, possible, to God be the glory, then you're in a good spot. If your response is, uh-uh, not me, no way, no how, you're not in a good spot. And that would be something to consider. Like, how in am I? How committed am I? How devoted am I? Have I lost my first love? Do I understand what this life has for me? Number two, faithfulness will make us spiritually rich. Faithfulness will make us spiritually rich. And really, what's being said here is I need to give up the worldly riches, the, the prestige, the comfort, the power position, uh, the reputation. I need to give up all that, and I need to become spiritually rich where the, the Jesus who died on the cross for my sins and the God who sent them, who's brought me into his family, where he's the one that's looking down on me and is impressed by human standards, of course. Faithfulness will make us spiritually rich and be proof of our true salvation. And be proof of our true salvation. Remember that phrase, the one who is victorious? It was said three times, the one who is victorious. The one who's truly saved will get these things. The one who's truly saved. And when we live in this type of culture and we don't back down and we continue to serve God, that is the best proof that we belong to Christ. Then number three, this kind of faithfulness is far more important than anything else we might otherwise gain. And I tried to make a list. It's, it's a kind of a lousy list, but maybe, maybe it'll strike you. I tried to think cool, so I put the word likes in there. You know, how many likes did I get on this, that, or the other? How, how renowned am I? How much wealth do I have? How much influence do I have? How popular am I? What level of safety and comfort do I live in? How much freedom do I have? How much self-governance do I have? All these things should become less important while faithfulness to God becomes more important. That's the point. And then number four, application for us, we need to understand that the better we serve God, the more the world will hate us. 
the better we serve God, the more we serve God, the more effectively we serve God, the more the world will hate us. That's in Scripture. Jesus said, you know what? Don't be surprised when they hate you. They hated me first. Don't be surprised when they persecute you. They persecuted me first. This is, this is what you're signing up for. So we might as well suffer for something worthy of our suffering, not something we deserve. If I'm a jerk and I get treated like a jerk, I deserve to be treated like a jerk. It's my own fault. If I'm kind and compassionate and loving and people treat me like I was a jerk, that's their fault. And that's suffering for Christ. There's a difference. If I'm suffering because of my own stupidity, then I deserve it and I just need to live with it. But if I'm suffering um, for Christ's sake because of serving him, I need to know that's that's why, and I need to know God's going to reward me for that. I may not ever see that reward here, but I will receive that reward in heaven. So one of the big points is, hey, eternity is ahead, heaven is ahead, being with God is ahead, and that stuff is all worth whatever happens here. And, and we need to be committed here so that we enter into that realm with a confident smile on my face, and I'm going to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope that makes sense. Father God, thank you for our time. Thank you for the energy that was used today to, to give your message. Thank you for this letter, this short little letter that you gave us. Thank you for the insights that we were able to glean from the rest. Thank you for speaking to us. And Lord, we recognize that if things don't change, this is going to reach Kath Lamet. There could be protests. There could be slander. There could be affliction. There could be threats. There could be imprisonment. And there could be death. We're not looking for that. We don't want those things. But if that's what serving you brings, then give us a heart to thank you for it. To say, God, if this is what you want, this is how I can serve you, this will further your kingdom, then I will proceed. Help us to have the right motives, not forgetting our first love. Help us serve you well. I pray that if you were to write a letter to our church, that our list of good things would far outweigh our list of bad things and help us to work on the bad things. Father, we want to serve you in such a way that we grow in our abilities, we grow in what you're able to call us to, and we see your work being accomplished. Help us to think about these things and ponder these things and take them into our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.